Welcome to Quest Magazine's inaugural podcast. I'm Paul Masterson, and I'll be bringing you the fun, the frivolous, as well as the salient and sexy topics of Wisconsin's LGBTQ life. In this episode, we'll be talking to Carmen Murguia about writing holiday catch-up letters and Kilwin's proprietor B.J. Grueling on sweet holiday memories. Our featured guest is trans-masculine porn actor and sex educator Kip Slinger. Writing holiday letters can be a chore, but Milwaukee poet Carmen Murguia says it's easier than you think. She's been publishing poetry for 25 years, so she should know. So how do you, how do you start, and how do you get motivated to do a catch-up letter? I think of three ways. I think in three ways, I should say. Audio, visual, and then the creative writing process. And so for me, believe it or not, Paul, it's if the words don't come, I'll create a CD. And I'll write right on the CD. Um, and now, you know, I have to send one of those. What are those little things called? It's not a USB. It's a, it's a, a drive. Flash drive? A flash drive. It's a flash drive. So now I have to put music or words or my poetry or a creative story, you know, just a piece right on a flash drive, you know, because everybody's going tech. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's something that actually yeah. I would never have thought of. You know, I've, I see the challenge of a letter, well, those type things that goes through every tragedy that anyone's ever had in the past <laughs> year. But, but speaking of that, what if it's been a terrible year? And politically, we've had a terrible Oof. year. And especially in our situation where we have a biological family we might not be connected to, yeah. but we have the logical family of our community. Uh, how do you how do you compensate for the the downside? Okay, I'll tell you this. I'm a big Carrie Carpenter fan, so I'll cry it out first. Literally, like I will listen to the Carpenters. I'll listen to Gladys Knight and the Pips. For me, that when it is a down year, like 2016, for example, <gasps> there were days where I said, "Oh my God, just get me through another 24, please," and and I could. I could have dwelled on all that weight, but I chose not to. What, what I would recommend is when you're writing, start with somebody easy. You know, dear Paul, I love the arts and you've done such an amazing job. <laughs> like, you, like you've made me come out of my shell to go see this theater piece or to go to um, listen to this musical and... So in other words, what you're really saying is the person you're writing to is going to inspire the material that you write to them. Mm -hmm. And by, by doing that, you overcome that problem I think some people have, just sounding sincere. Yes, absolutely. It's about what is your friendship about? What does it represent? And they, they pull it right out of you. It's very interesting when you go to the heart and not think so hard about it. It's it's the best. And you know what? It doesn't have to be long-winded. Paragraph, couple of sentences. You know, what do they mean to you? What's, what's the, you know, wow, we made it through. We made it through another year. We made it through. You know, it wasn't always easy getting to this point of, oh, great, the holidays are upon us. No, when I was a little girl, um, I had a weight of loneliness about me where I could be in a room of uh, my huge family, um, five kids, mom and dad, uh, uh, holiday decorations everywhere. And I would sit in front of the tree and listen to the carpenters. 
and cry because I felt lonely. I felt different. I felt um, like, like I loved, it was a love, the holidays, not love the holidays because of that loneliness and trying to be accepted, you know what I mean? And then as I got older and I would fall in love and then I'd be in between relationships, well, there's a song by Diana Ross and the Supremes. What do the lonely do at Christmas? <gasps> Ave Maria. I, I would play that over and over. And I'm like, girl, turn that song off. <laughs> and I would cry because it was true, though. It was true. What do the lonely do at Christmas? And I wondered how many other lesbians and, and gays and bi's and trans and people who are questioning and queer, just identify as queer, are feeling the same thing. And then I remember just two years ago, um, my soul was filled because I had met someone and the song came on. And I remember saying to her, you know, the song doesn't have the weight or the meaning that it used to. Like I could listen to it and it's beautiful and I could sing along and it's, not the same loneliness anymore. Um, but now I have self-love and I have self-care and it's, it's, it's just different. It's just different. And I'm not saying it's going to be perfect every year. But what I'm saying is that uh, we grow. We grow. And so just celebrating life as we know it with, with our friends. You're absolutely right. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you're saying basically is make it personal. Mm. And so the next question is, who makes it onto your list? The people that make it to my list are definitely the ones that I kick it with on a regular basis. You know, uh, my fellow poets, the people who are what I consider my ride or dies, the people that uh, I can I have on speed dial that I can count on no matter what's going on, um, no matter where I'm at in my life, and they love me unconditionally, and vice versa. And then also um, the people that I haven't talked to in forever, you know, that, hey, I love you, I'm thinking about you, um, you're never far from me, and um, here's a little something to let you know that I know you're busy, and I may be busy, but you're always on my mind. And that surprise, when I get a card from somebody that I haven't heard from or talked to, it could even be a couple of years, but when we reconnect like that at the holidays, that that feeling is phenomenal. I can't, I can't even put words to that one, to that one, yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. An amazing way of looking at it, too, because unfortunately, I think we see people, they use bullet points, they go on too much into their uh, their operations or their car <laughs> crashes and all the rest of it. But you still want to convey an experience and something special that's happened in the year. So yeah. how do you pick that one particular experience, that drama, the fun moment? Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting is you mentioned the operations, right? And the car crashes. Okay, yes, they've happened. But you know what? I'm alive to write about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 and wow, by the grace of the universe, 
Um, I'm, I made it, I'm alive. And, uh, you know, you could even put a joke in there about, cause there's something, mm, there's something positive in everything. At least that's, that's how I function. And, and, um, I try not to stay in the depths of the darkness of even this year. I don't know even, I don't even use his name <laughs> and we're you know what i mean and we're like and and the thing is um we can all stay stuck in that and that weight of that and the nastiness and the racism and the homophobia and the sexism and just all this ugh. yet i don't have to and we don't have to as as lgbtq people you know um we can say look as LGBTQ people, you know, we have a completely different, we have a rainbow life, you know what I mean? And we really do. We have a very colorful lives. We do. I mean, if you think about it, we don't live ordinarily. We have such beautiful insight to what's going on in the world and what's going on with ourselves that we can put it in words. And if you can't put it in words, no problem. Grab some photos of your life. Grab some photos from a magazine. Create a collage. Send a collage. Can you imagine sending a collage? How fun that is. Well, definitely. But you just mentioned something too, is the idea of expressing what we've what we've lived through. But some yeah. people just don't have that gift like you do as a writer. Mm-hmm. So is it okay to plagiarize a little? Can you go online and find a quote um, oh, and yeah, yeah. Par- make it part of the collage to sort yeah. of underpin your your presentation oh yeah oh definitely um one of my favorite quotes is from Othello of course I'm a romantic so (laughs) I'm very dramatic so you know you can grab a quote from your favorite play or your favorite um author your favorite singer you know like I'll grab a couple lines from J a one J a Jay-Z song or from uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips um, I'll grab some lions, you know, I'm leaving on a midnight train to Georgia, come with me, you know what I mean? So what I recommend is is make it easy on yourself. The holidays, just getting through the holidays is tough enough, so make it easy, make it easy on yourself, I mean, shoot. Well, that's exactly it. I think part of the, part of the problem is that we create more drama by making it difficult on ourselves in a moment like this when you're trying to be you're just trying to to reach out to your friends and your and your family whether the biological or logical family and you want to tell it like it is but not all people are so creative as yourself so I think we've gotten a few answers here but I think basically you're you're saying just do what comes naturally yeah do what comes naturally and the thing is even if you just touch a few people that makes that makes a huge difference. A lot of people just grab a card and sign it, and that's perfectly fine because the message is in the image and whatever the the card says because it, 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 it stood out to you. So you know, with your signature, and a lot of people do that, and because it's it can be a little time consuming, and you know, time is of the essence during the holidays. 
So in other words, anything goes. Anything goes. As long as you're communicating and showing a bit of love and a bit of attention to mm -hmm. someone that you might have neglected over the years or over the, the course of the year, then you've accomplished that. You've accomplished a connection. Absolutely. Connecting. You said it. Paul, that's it. Make the connection. I love it. That's it. Thank you, Carmen. Sure. Kip Slinger is a sex educator and trans-masculine porn actor. His provocative work and lifestyle challenges us to rethink the norms of gender, sexual expression, and sensuality. Well, let's talk about your entry into the adult film industry. And how did that come about and why? When I was just being in a transition... Uh, most of the representations that I saw of transmasculine bodies uh, that were in any sort of positive light were porn. And they were all these kind of really small feminist porn companies that were in San Francisco or the Bay Area. And it just looked like this group of, you know, transmasculine folks that were just like having a great time. You know, they, they seem to be kind of like a, a tight group of people. There are lots of pictures of them at social events and then you, you see them in their respective porn. And there was just this kind of place online where I could go to actually see bodies that, that, you know, see bodies that I may get to have in the future because that was kind of when I was starting to take hormones and I was very curious. Um, I would say almost obsessive in the way that I kind of consumed these images. And when, I, I, when it came time for me to start to fundraise or to try to make money for my top surgery, um, I figured that escorting would be kind of an easy way to do that. And so I I answered an ad on Craigslist. An older gentleman had put up an ad that said that he was looking for uh, for a young trans guy, which is like, uh, you never see these things. At least you didn't, you know, five years ago. And so I answered the ad and we kind of, you know, agreed on things that would and would not happen and, you know, and agreed on a donation for the time spent and so on and so forth. And I then went over to his house that weekend and he let me in. And the first thing he did was he showed me pictures of his grandchildren. And the next thing he did was he showed me his KKK robes and his little KKK figurines that he had whittled out of wood and taken the time to paint it. And the, you know, the KKK jewelry that he had made. And, and then I mean, it was extraordinary. I, we didn't even touch each other that, that, that when I had came over. I just spent an hour and a half kind of listening to him tell me why the KKK is, a, is an organization about loving white people and not hating you know, other types of people. And it was one of the most fascinating experiences of my life, and I made a little bit of money. And, and so it was from there that I started to think more broadly about the adult industry. And so then I started to put out images of my body um, on Tumblr, and I made a Twitter, and I started to get reactions. And so then I started to put out little videos. And, and at this time, I was escorting a little more, and I just on a whim reached out to a couple of the film companies in the Bay and, uh, you know, fill out the applications and flew out there. And that's kind of how I started. Adult film pays me peanuts. It's just, there's just not a lot of money, I think, in adult film, and especially for trans guys. Uh, trans guys are kind of like a new invention. And so you have an entire world of people that have, you know, through their 
you know, while they were sexually developing, they were seeing all these images and seeing all these things. And I can almost guarantee you that for the majority of people on this earth, trans men were not a part of that. You know, people didn't really know that we existed up until like 10 years ago. But it's interesting, too, because this is a genre that's also evolving. And of course, on traditional sites, there's commentaries. And one theme or one common commentary that you see with trans guy porn is the mention of chemistry. Why do you think there is a particular chemistry or something that gets communicated as chemistry through trans porn? Nobody's ever asked me this question, and on the spot, I have a theory. So I'm just pulling this out of my ass right now. So in my function as a in my function as an escort, and also sometimes in the adult films that I do, instead of having sex, I like end up like doing a lot of passionate lovemaking, and I think that that ability for passion and kind of empathetic and sensual touch is something that was absolutely like trained into me as a woman, and something that I absolutely got to sharpen in my exploits, you know, as a woman, you know, loving and, and having sex with other women. And so I think that that absolutely kind of gives me a kind of chemistry edge, like a certain kind of empathy and just kind of like a way of interacting with people and other people's bodies that I think that most guys don't have. Um, and so as far as chemistry that folks might be commenting on in transmasculine porn, that could be some of it. Uh, there could be other reasons too. Well, let's go back to your first shoot as a participant in transmasculine porn. <laughs> so tell us, what was it like? Oh, my God. It was so, the first porn shoot I ever did was so, and if this guy ever hears this interview, he's going to be so mad. It was so stupid. So <laughs> I had answered another Craigslist ad two weeks after I got my top surgery. So I just freshly, you know, I had my boobs removed and, and I was about, you know, nine and a half months on hormones. And I answered this Craigslist ad, this guy in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that wanted to make an FTM porn website. Like in all the things that you see on Craigslist, like this was kind of like, I was shocked to see it. And so, and so I, I answered it and, uh, and you know, we, the guy and I did a video chat and from what I could tell, cause I'm pretty good at, at kind of pegging people. It's kind of like one of my talents, uh, is I could tell that he seemed like a single kind of lonely guy that had a fetish and had a little bit of money, you know, had some money to, to blow on his fetish to make a porn site. And so I, it, it felt harmless enough. And so I took a bus to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, and, and this I, is from the Bay. Oh, no, this was from Milwaukee. Oh, okay. This is before I moved out to the Pacific Northwest. So I was still living in Milwaukee. I moved to the, the Olympia, Seattle, Washington area about a year into my transition. So this is about month nine or 10. So I, I take this bus up to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I meet this guy, and he was this older guy. Uh, you know, he was retired from a professional job, and he was basically looking for his trans man husband. And he was going about it in all the wrong ways. And so I pretty much had to tell him up front, like, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm here, you know, simply to shoot videos. 
and he was respectful to that boundary. I can at no time say that he was, you know, disrespectful to any of the boundaries that I set. And so when I say it was stupid, <laughs> that's not what I mean. Um, but I mean, we were all so inexperienced, right? Like there is me and then like the other actors that he got, which were cis guys, were just like dudes that he like got off a of Craigslist and like paid a couple hundred dollars for. And like, then there's this guy who's just like this retired older guy with this fetish and it I mean it was kind of like fun but it was also like I you know it was kind of grueling like the shoots were like eight nine hours long and like this guy didn't know how to use lighting and so he had all these lights on us and I was just pouring sweat and at one point he got one of the lights so close to my crotch that he like burnt my labia I mean it's just like so stupid (laughs) And so funny in like so many ways, but uh, I actually still talk to that gentleman via email. You know, like I have some fond memories of that time. I think he is kind of a mess, but um, he did kind of make like this website that looked like one of those angel fire sites from like 2000 or something like it's just like the really bad graphics and like whatever, you know, like all the font is Comic Sans or whatever and is like blue background with yellow writing. So, uh, that was my, those were my first shoots. And I did, you know, I did two different shoots there, hardcore shoots, which would be me and somebody else. And then I did one solo shoot and they were disorganized, uh, but kind of funny. Yeah. All right. So you move from, sounds like a living room in Kalamazoo. Right. To... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> real porn studios with real actors, studios like Kink and Bonus Holes and Christian Wilde. Sure. Yeah. Relative to each other, they're not comparable. <laughs> so I, <clears throat> when I actually, the shoot with Bonus Hole Boys is a really great example. Uh, so Bonus Hole Boys is uh, an independent company in uh, San Francisco and it's, you know, run by a trans man and another queer person and their partners in the business. And I'm not sure where they're at with it now. And it just exclusively shoots or shot, uh, trans men and big gay porn actors. And so, uh, my first shoot that I did with them, they had paired me with Sebastian Keys and Christian Wilde. And Sebastian Keys is kind of known as far as uh, a lot of kink stuff, a lot of gay kink stuff, a lot of edging. And then Christian Wilde is just known, right? I mean, the guy is just so beautiful. And that shoot was four hours long. I was paid double the amount of money and it was very professional. Uh, professional props, uh, the videographer was professional, everything the way that that was set up. And working with Christian Wilde and Sebastian Keys, yeah, totally professional. And it was so amazing about Christian because he's so well endowed. And this, and in this shoot, we had done double penetration. And and the scenes, it looks like he's like really hammering me. And there's something about his technique where he's just kind of, it looks like he's kind of hammering you really hard uh, or he's kind of really going at it. But at the same time, he's very gentle. Like, he's a true professional, I would say. So when you ask kind of the, you know, relative to each other, how those were different or kind of what that process was like, they're just totally not even in the same league. Having a sex scene with Christian Wilde, did that feel glamorous? It, It didn't. It didn't feel glamorous. I think people have reached out to me a lot since and been like, I can't believe you were in a scene with Christian Wilde. Or another one is Conor McGuire. Because I did a scene with Connor, Connor McGuire for Bonus Hole Boys as well, um, because those those are those two gentlemen are you know really well known and 
are very handsome and have a lot of content out there and a lot of fans. But I, I'm not really that kind of person. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever felt glamorous in my life. I felt glamorous when I, when I won the honors college uh, essay contest, but I, yeah, I don't think I felt glamorous. I just had a good time. <laughs> All right. Now you've moved on and you've created your own website, kipslinger.com mm -hmm. and you create your own content. So how do you come up with the ideas for your videos? The ideas for my videos up until now were all mine. So when you see the hazing scene, that was my idea. The tutoring scene with Connor and I, that was my idea. The first scenes that we did, my, my idea was to do a card game. Those, those were all my ideas. That bait bus scene that I did with FTM Fucker. But now that I have my own website, I actually am now starting to reach out to people and, as, and my fan base and ask them, what do they want to see? And so from here on forward, I, I think that I'm most often going to be doing that and throwing in some more of my ideas, but I actually haven't made any of my ideas for a while. And in all of this, as a porn actor, you're essentially being objectified. Is that a turn on? Is that something that makes you uncomfortable? Or how do you perceive your role as a porn actor for the viewer? I think I'm disassociated from that aspect. I don't really think about that. Like, I know that that's, you know, my function, but I also, I know that that is my, pri like, the primary thing that people are coming to me for when they're, you know, looking me up or whatever. Uh, that's what I market. That's, you know, that's what I'm selling, essentially. However, I don't think, too much about that end of it that you know the being objectified and being kind of considered in these ways and I feel like I'm more connected with some of the more personable aspects I really love it for instance when folks reach out to me um, especially from the trans community and and especially from the cis gay community actually and ask me questions relative to my experience uh, or perhaps sometimes they need, you know, they have questions about resources or they're interested in getting into adult work or, or they're just curious or whatever. And I really love that, kind of like that one-on-one -on -one connecting. And so I connect more with my, you know, my persona as Kip Slinger, as somebody who is a public persona and someone who is accessible and less with Kip Slinger as the object. As an adult film actor... Are you feeling the empowerment of the sexuality of people getting off or the education and the broadening of the understanding of sexuality? In my capacity as an adult film actor, I think that I am admittedly really disconnected from the sexuality. In my capacity as an escort, I am really connected. And so when we talk about control and power as an escort, I am on top of that. Like, I want to be controlling the entire situation, and, like, I'm really leaning into that and, uh, and really trying to control your experience for the good and for my safety and for both of our comfort. Um, but, as, but as far as an adult film actor, yeah, I don't feel connected to that at all. In fact, if I'm not acting with someone else, sometimes I feel really awkward. <laughs> so, yeah. And who are the other big names in the transgender adult film world? right now so i think that there's a lot of so trans i would say that trans masculine adult film is kind of on it's 
as far as people that are participating in it, there seems to be less actual professional outlets and more individual people's kind of selling clips and stuff. Uh, but as far as big names, uh, the director and you know talent director for Bonus Hall Boys, Sid St. Vincent, is pretty big. Uh, James Darling was pretty big for a while. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with him. He may be still putting out DVDs. Um, Luke Hudson, uh, kind of new, not really connected with any other trans outlets, more connected with uh, Jason Sparks, which is um, like a, he does, uh, they're connected with like, they're like big gay, like Falcon Studios, like those larger really. Um, so he's getting kind of big right now and he's getting huge because he's beautiful and also the advertising power that they have. So, I mean, you may want to follow Luke Hudson. Um, Dickie Johnson also. Um, uh, in terms of your own career then are you emulating particular uh, celebrities or former leaders in the in the business what's your what's your business model sure uh so when i was launching my own website i had to ask myself a lot of these questions kind of did i want to model myself after someone how are they going to make certain business decisions so on and so forth and what I ran into was that there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of pioneers. Beyond Buck Angel, there was absolutely nobody that had done this before besides the group of us that are kind of all struggling to do it right now. Um, I have never modeled myself after anybody in particular, but I have reached out to many performers and have received many tips and lots of information. And that kind of been carried when I've need to been carried. The, really isn't a wealth of information as far as how to make business decisions as a trans masculine porn performer because it's such a niche and small part of the genre and it's just beginning to break into the larger you know gay porn industry or scenes so I mean I did a lot of improvising I did a lot of making it up as I went along um, and a lot of I think just asking individual questions of individual performers but I never actually kind of tried to follow in anyone's footsteps and really like Kip Slinger is totally it's a side thing for me uh, this was never anything that I had expected to do forever when I think of you know Kip Slinger and what he might be in the future I think that it, his connection to the public is probably the most important thing about him or about me as Kip Slinger uh, I want to invest my time and resources if I can as Kip Slinger into resources for the trans community and specifically, I would love to start a surgery fund. And I also think about Kipslinger as an educational tool, as an educational resource for folks, especially, you know, cis men that may be interested in trans men or may not understand trans men. Those uh, gentlemen get to reach out to me and uh, I get to give them information. And so I know that I kind of got really far away from your original question, but I just, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that there really isn't anybody, there isn't a lot of people that have done this before. And so we're all, most of us that are doing it are kind of making it up as we go along and, and kind of helping each other out as we can. And then for me, when I think about what this is, like I want to actually take it much further into grounds that that you, you haven't seen another, you know, trans porn performer take it to. So are people reaching out to you now? Are you becoming the model for transmasculine porn for some people right so people for, for people who are interested in doing it but also among your fans who are interested in finding 
their satisfaction through a sure. an alternative sexuality. Sure, yeah. I mean, I am that for some people, and there are some other, you know, I'm not that for everybody, very clearly. If I was, uh, we wouldn't be meeting in, you know, my apartment in the city. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I, I am that for some people, and I think that the the really special part of that can be when folks reach out to me and they get to learn things about being trans uh, or about being trans and doing porn or about being with a trans man that they didn't know before. So, so we've mentioned your fans who are reaching out to you. How do you see them? What, what's your contact with them? Are they admirers, supporters, friends, students? Sure. Uh, so I have to, I, you know, I, I'm glad that I have this opportunity to say that the fans of Kip Slinger have saved my ass on more than one occasion. So when I said that Kip Slinger doesn't make uh, a lot of money as far as his capacity as a porn performer, that doesn't mean that I haven't been able to kind of touch a lot of people's lives. And I really see that when I need something. And so there have been various um, things that have happened where I've needed to raise money for things. Uh, I had to raise money for some dental surgery. And I'll actually start raising money for the second part of that soon. And I had an emergency about a year and a half ago. And when times have been really tight, as Kipslinger, I've been able to fundraise. And my fans always, they just they just materialize and take care of my needs in this way that is truly extraordinary. And th- I mean, that's one of the really special things I think about being Kip Slinger is, is to, is I don't have a uh, supportive family and, you know, kind of had a, a, a kind of rocky past, but to have kind of this community of people that I've never met and through porn of all things, like come together and take care of me when I need it has been just immensely, it's just been an immense blessing. As far as how I, interact with my fans, I think one of the things that I really, really regret is that I just, I'm one person. I, in addition to, you know, the things that I do with Kip Slinger as a, in film, um, or, you know, with public, I also escort, I also work side jobs to make my, you know, to make my ends meet. I have animals to take care of. I'm also a student. And so I have a lot of stuff going on in my life. And there are lots of people that reach out to me who I don't ever get a chance to get back to. And why do you think they do that? Well, I mean, I assume that people reach out to me for the same reason that I reach out to other people is they need something, you know, they have a question or they want to tell me that I look hot or they're hoping that I will also, you know, tell them that they look hot or something. They they want some sort of, you know, emotional connection or sexual connection, or sometimes they have an educational question. I think that the people that contact me just need something and they have varying expectations and, um, I'm sometimes able to meet those needs and sometimes I'm, I'm not. And, uh, sometimes it's appropriate for me to meet, to meet, to meet some of those needs and sometimes it's not, but I do know that, uh, I wish I had more time and I wish that, I wish that I could really communicate to my fans how much I appreciate them. Um, and there's just no way that I can do that. But still what you've done for them, you've essentially created an intimacy that only sexuality can achieve and even though it might be just vicariously through porn they still are now connected to you yeah Uh, i worry though i worry that people feel cheap you know like and it's really like not my fault or not it's not like up to me to be the arbiter of whether that happens or doesn't happen but i just worry that people feel that it's like a cheap intimacy or that like they regret it somehow Uh, i guess that's like one of my fears but 
really, though, people just get to make make decisions about the kind of connections they want in their life. I just, as far as somebody who appreciates connection, I wish that I could. I wish that I could totally deliver on all those fantasies. I think that's just one of my little regrets as Kipslingers, and I just, it's I can't. I what about the other side, though, for those who might be more judgmental and more traditional about their sexuality or the boundaries of their sexuality? Do you get pushback? If I do, I mean, I block them or ignore them. And to those people, I would simply say, you know, when you have questions uh, and if, when they're, if they're respectful questions, come to me, I have answers. And is there, as a result of your experience and through the porn industry or just the process that you've gone through this to this point, is there a different way we should be talking about sex and, and gender? I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that the cultural conversation around those things is changing. And I think that both sex and gender, respective of each other and, you know, uh, and the ways that they intersect are immensely complicated. Um, and whatever ways we're talking about sex and gender, I think that it is, I can say, you know, with uh, confidence that it's important that we do so openly and without shame. No matter which winter holidays we celebrate, Candies, confections, and other sweet treats are integral to the festivities. And while gingerbread, peppermint candy canes, and chocolate Santas bring back childhood memories, they also offer opportunities to create new memories and traditions for our queer friends and family. We're here at Kilwins in Glendale, Wisconsin. They're purveyors of original recipe ice cream, fudge, and chocolates. We have a, a great selection of ice cream right here. We have Lake Michigan mud, Mackinac Island fudge, we have Superman, which is a swirl of rainbow colors, and cappuccino chocolate chip. Hi there, welcome to Kilwins. Would you like a free sample of fudge by any chance? Absolutely. Okay. What do you recommend? The store favorites are the turtle fudge and our sea salt caramel fudge as well. And what's your favorite? Oh, my personal favorite is the peanut butter fudge and our brand new peppermint fudge as well. And that's for the holidays, I take yep, it. for the holiday season. Hi, Paul. How are you? <laughs> There's BJ. He's one of the owners with his partner, Dick. We're going to be going through your wonderful inventory here. We, I can see the caramel apples. There's lots of fudge. There's a kitchen going with all sorts of things already being prepared. There's maple walnut. There's sea salt caramel and a signature turtle. Now, what's the signature? So it's the, our handcrafted caramel along with pecans, and it is one of our most popular fudges. And I also see a chocolate Twinkie. The chocolate-covered Twinkies are quite a big hit. We dip them in chocolate and then stripe them with dark chocolate and white chocolate. So they're quite delicious. And they're arrayed right next to chocolate s'mores. And our chocolate s'mores are made with a big slice of our Kilwins handcrafted marshmallow between two graham crackers and dipped in milk chocolate and then with a white chocolate stripe. Well, they look delicious and I think they'd be wonderful with a, a big cup of coffee. Let's go back and talk a little more about the store. Now, I know BJ from a way back and I know you're from Merrill, Wisconsin where the maple syrup comes from. So it seems to be you have a, a taste for something sweet. Is that how we got to Kilwins? I did grow up in Merrill, and we as children would tap our maple trees, and we will cook down our sap and be thrilled that we got this little tablespoonful of maple syrup out of all that sap. 
But Rick and I are both science people. We both have a science background. And that few years ago, when we opened the store, we probably were insane going from science to a retail setting. But there's a science to fudge. There is a science to it. And we cook our fudges up to a tenth of a degree. So those those temperatures are very critical. And the ingredients we use, they interact in a way to give us the smoothest, best tasting fudge. And what about those tastes? What's new? What's, what's fresh and fudge? We're very traditional. So we don't really go for wild, wild fudge tastes. Even though we could make those, people really enjoy those traditional flavors, such as turtle fudge and chocolate fudge and sea salt caramel fudge. And the sea salt is a big thing now. We have chocolate-covered caramels, which have sea salt on top from around the world. We have Tuttles, which have sea salt on them. We have sea salt caramel ice cream, which is our number one flavor ice cream. And now that we're in the holiday season, what can you recommend in terms of flavors for your products in particular? People are looking for very personal flavors. I think they're looking for what grandma likes the most and what what Aunt Sally likes the most. Or if there's significant other, what are their favorite flavors? And what are the flavors that we actually associate with the holidays? What makes us feel like it's the winter, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or any of the other winter holidays, what makes us feel like we're in the season? I think those flavors like caramel, peppermint stick, cinnamon, those are all kind of those warm, bright holiday flavors. Personally, myself, I would go for that very creamy hot chocolate, Mexican hot chocolate especially with cinnamon in it. We do also make a Mexican dark chocolate fudge with cinnamon in as well. That gives it a little bit of punch. And that is probably my most favorite flavor fudge. Sounds like cinnamon is the key spice that bridges us into the holidays. I think that's right. You know, if you think about having your potpourri, most of them have that cinnamon smell, cinnamon pine cones mixed in with their evergreen scents. When everybody walks into the store, they are greeted by all these chocolate aromas. When we're making caramel corn, we pop the popcorn in our copper kettles. So it smells like a movie theater first, and then we start making the caramel so we have that sweet, buttery smell. When we're doing fudge, it's very chocolatey smelling. If we're doing the peppermint stick fudge, the whole neighborhood smells like like peppermint stick. It's what people talk about. It gives them that warm feeling. It takes them back to their childhoods, memories of grandma making chocolate or caramel corn in her kitchen. I think that's, that's what ties families together, is those memories. And maybe that's the way we create new memories, even if perhaps our past wasn't quite as uh, traditional or we have maybe not the greatest memories of, of some of our holidays past. Yes, I think so. I think, I think you can enjoy these chocolates and create those new memories. They'll become personal for you, and you start your own traditions. And maybe, maybe one of those new traditions will be f- to join us here at Kilwins for one of our special events. 
or bring your new friends along and create a new Christmas holiday event. It sounds like what you're doing here at Kilwins is really special for everyone's experience, whether it's the biological family, the logical family, the circle of friends, and just the idea of holiday sharing. I think so. I think we can bring those families together and it, it just puts a smile on everybody's face. We always watch people walk in our doors and just that experience of smelling the chocolate, their eyes close, they inhale, and they've all of a sudden become happier. We hope you've enjoyed Quest Inaugural Podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, This Is It, Cruise, and Club Icon for their continuing support of Quest Magazine. Please patronize your local LGBTQ businesses. They are there for us in what nowadays can often feel like a hostile world. Thanks for listening and tune in next month when we explore the theme of the new year and new beginnings. I'm Paul Masterson, my producer is Alex Poole, and this was our Quest podcast for December. <laughs>